Please leave your Bibles open to 1 Peter 1. We ask for God's blessing on the reading and preaching of His Word this morning. And we're going to look at 1 Peter this morning, chapter 1. One of the happiest moments in our life together as a congregation happens when one of our families comes to worship for the first time with a newborn baby. And when they come in, what happens every time? Well, what happens every time is that we just sort of swarm them and line up, and we're determined that we're going to have our turn to hold that baby. Uh, we want to see the baby. We want to talk to the baby. It's just really important to us. I won't mention any names, but I know a couple of mothers of, of older children who have gone up to their daughters and taken those newborn babies away from them, not because they were doing anything wrong, but because it was mom's turn and they could take it from that person. But it seems to be an occasion of great joy to us. When you hold a baby in your arms, what do you think about? You think how beautiful they are? What a blessing they are? How perfect they are? Maybe the joy you feel because you're holding this new life. You get to be close to them. When you hold a baby, do you ever stop and think about what that baby may grow up to be? Or who they may grow up to be? What they'll accomplish in their life? Or what kind of successes will they have? What does life hold for this precious little one that God has blessed us with? I know parents think about that, and grandparents, maybe all the others of us as well. Well, when someone is baptized, as we saw last week with Austin, I often wonder something like that. What kind of a Christian will they grow up to be? Will they be faithful to the Lord in the days and the weeks and the months and the years to come? How will they live in love as Christians? What will they do to help the church in its work? The second half of 1 Peter, verse 13 to 25, gives some specific instructions for how Christians ought to live. Some students of 1 Peter believe that 1 Peter was a sermon or an instruction book for people who had just been baptized. Something of a first century version of, now that I'm a Christian, like the, the booklet that we give when somebody is just baptized. We can't know that for sure, but when you read First Peter, it kind of reads that way, and I think that's a good explanation for understanding this really tremendous letter that we have from First Peter, from Peter. However that may be, 1 Peter 1, 13 through 25 does tell new Christians what to do with their new life in Christ, how it ought to be lived. And if we're older Christians, it gives us a way of taking a measure of how we're living this life that Christ has given us. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. 1 Peter calls us to holiness because God is holy. Look at verse 13 through 16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. 
As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Now, Peter's already talked about the future in verses 1 through 12, which we heard in our reading. We have been given a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. A little later he says, we have an inheritance. An inheritance reserved for us in heaven that can never perish or spoil or fade. There is a salvation that will be revealed at the last time. But we might read that and and think that's all that Peter is concerned about and that being a Christian is sort of about sitting around and and having fond dreams of what heaven will be like and how great it will be when we finally get there. And without a doubt, it's a wonderful place and, and it should be our desire to be there. But Peter is concerned with the here and now. He's concerned with how Christians live today, before heaven. Because how we live today is preparation for for the future. And the word, therefore, that starts verse 13 anchors us in the present, in the here and now. And so Peter gives us this encouragement that in the present, we are to prepare our minds for action. Christianity is not about sitting and holding hands. It's about action. It's about doing things. It's about service. It's about worship. It's about fellowship. It's about serving others. And we're to be self-controlled. Maybe your translation says we're to be sober. We're to find a certain kind of spiritual seriousness about this life that we've been given And he says, set your hope fully on the grace that is to be given when Jesus is revealed. All the things that we can long for, all the things that we can desire. Peter is saying as we live the Christian life day by day, what we long for and desire is the grace that God is giving us through Christ. But as Christians, we're to have a mindset that never forgets who we are. A mindset in which we always know who we belong to. A mindset, a way of thinking in which we always understand clearly where we are going. Where our lives are headed. The word hope in First Peter is an interesting word because Peter uses it in a way that's a little bit different from the rest of the New Testament. The word hope in this book has to do with sustained trust. Sustained trust in God who liberated his people from Egypt and from Babylon and who has now redeemed them from sin through the blood of the suffering raised and glorified Jesus who will soon lead us home to the land of promise. When Peter tells us to be self-controlled or sober, He's not suggesting that we should never laugh. There should never be any joy in our lives. That we should not be happy people. But rather, knowing who we are 
and knowing who we belong to and where we're going, holding steadfast to the hope, to our trust, to our Savior, knowing that we're going home when Christ comes again, should always make us think seriously about today and how we are living in the here and now. Again, because each day is a preparation day. Each day is another day in the journey. We're going to be farther along at the end of the day than when we started. We'll be closer to the destination by the end of the week than when we started. And so our every thought and our every action and our every word is to be shaped by the fact that Jesus is going to come again. That he's going to come soon to reward us for our hope and give us the gracious gift of eternity with the Father. So, here's the most important question. How then do we live? What kind of a life do we live? What should the Christian life look like? Well, Peter says first it's the life of obedient children. We're obedient children. We're the children of God. And what characterizes us is our obedience. We live the life of a child who is under his father or her father's control. We've all gone to the grocery store and seen a parent with a child, and the child's just walking along and and maybe talking with the parent, but whatever the parent says, they do, and and there's there's no fussing or problems. But we've seen the other kind too, haven't we? You know, where the child is pitching a fit because they can't have the third bag of Oreos and all of those things. And sometimes we see moms and dads just walk away. I know those are absolutely none of our children here. I'm not thinking of any of our children, of course. But we've seen them. Well, Peter is saying that as we go through this life, we're to be that first kind of child who walks along with the father. And talks with the Father and, and, and does what the Father wants us to do. Not the other kind. So that means that as we live this Christian life, we don't allow our wants and our desires to control us. We're not about grabbing everything on the shelf that attracts our attention. As we live this new life that we have in Christ Jesus, our desires no longer control us. We control them. There was a time when all of us lived in the control of our desires. Whatever we saw, whatever we heard, we wanted, and and we did what we could to get it. And at that time, we didn't know any better. But says Peter says, now we know better. So don't let those evil desires shape the kind of person that you are. Don't be a slave to your desires. Don't let them control who you are and how you live. The Father we obey, who called us out of the world and out of sin, is our is holy. Our Father is separate. He is other. As the Apostle John will put it in 1 John chapter 1, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. Or, or more literally, there's not even the tiniest, tiniest speck of darkness in God. He is pure light. And what that means for every part of our life is that we too are to be light. 
We too are to be holy. Holy in what we do. And Peter's idea of holy here is not complicated. It's rather simple and it's very practical because by holiness he means that we don't live like people who don't know God. We don't live like people who never heard of God. Who belong to this world and who conform to their evil desires. By holiness in this context of his letter, Peter simply means a life of obedience. A life of doing God's will. He means that our values and our conduct and our speech and our attitude are those that belong to the people of God. The traits that have been revealed to us in Scripture as as pleasing God. And Peter underscores this teaching with ancient Scripture. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Leviticus, to chapter 11 and verse 44. If you read that part of, of, of the book of Leviticus, you'll find over and over and over again there is a call to be holy. Some people even call it the holiness code because holiness is the prime theme of that part of Leviticus. But as Peter quotes here from chapter 11 and verse 44 of Leviticus, be holy because I am holy. It's simple. The children should be like the father. Our heart's desire should be to be like daddy, to be like our heavenly father. So if you're a new Christian and you're just beginning the Christian life, here's what your life is to become. Here's the challenge that is set before you. Here's the goal to be reached. To draw nearer and nearer to the Father. To know His will more and more. And then to exercise His will in your life. And in the process become holy. And do that because your Heavenly Father is holy. Strive for that because you want to please your Father. Because you want to give him delight. And if you've been a Christian for a life, how does your life compare? Are you living a life of holiness? Are you holy as your Heavenly Father is? Are you living out day by day the holiness that we've been called to? Or maybe there's some areas of your life in which holiness doesn't control. Maybe there are some things that are not holy and you need to address them. Second, Peter calls us to live in the shadow of the cross. Look at verse 17 to 21. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as gold and silver that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. My grandparents had 17 grandchildren. And like most families, 
we had our, our family stories and our family jokes, and one of ours was, which of the 17 of us is Grandma and Grandpa's favorite? My cousin Caroline, to the best of my knowledge, is the only one that claimed the title. I was standing on one side of my grandmother, she was standing on the other, and she says, I'm Grandma's favorite. And of course, my grandmother didn't hear it. But we would speculate, or the family would speculate about who was Grandma and Grandpa's favorite. The thing that's so funny about that is that absolutely none of us were the favorite. Because they just loved us and cherished us all. Peter says, we have a Father in Heaven who doesn't play favorites. We have a Heavenly Father who loves each and every one of us, each and every one of His children the same. And each and every one of us will stand before him without exception to be judged on the basis of our works. Not only will we receive the gift of grace when Jesus is revealed, but we're going to see God. And we're going to be judged by him. And again, Peter wants us to understand and to think and to see that that event isn't just out in the future, but it is something that affects today. It affects how we live in the here and now. And so Peter's encouragement is we need to live as strangers. We need to live as strangers in this world in reverent fear. And we know that, don't we? We sing the song, this world is not my home. I'm just a passer through. Peter addresses this letter to people who are aliens and strangers. James addresses his to those who are scattered. In terms of living faithfully, it means that when it comes to anything in this world, we sit loose. We sit loose. That the hold we have on things in this world is a loose grip. Or we're like people who are constantly on the move and you just can't take a lot with you. If you're always on the move, if you're always on the journey, you... You kind of have to limit what you can carry. And so when it comes to the things of this world, to the materials of this world, you sit loose with them. You don't wrap your life up in them. You don't let them control your life. You have a better country that you're going to. A better home. And so as we pass through this world, we're to do so with deep respect and reverence for God with a sense of awe that this Holy One is God and our Father, with a sense of our smallness before Him, with a sense of gratitude and awe at what He has done for us. And we know that He paid the price of our salvation. He dealt with our sins Himself. Not with gold or silver or with anything the world considers precious. He didn't pay the price with something perishable, but He redeemed us from our former empty way of life with blood. And not just any blood, but with the precious blood of Christ, who was the perfect sacrifice for our sin without spot or blemish. He paid for our sins with the life of His own Son. And He planned on doing that before He ever started creating the world. All of our hope All of our trust rests in God 
in the fact that he raised Jesus from the dead. So as we go through this life, we go through it with the knowledge that that has been done for us. That we have been redeemed and that as the redeemed people of God, we will stand before his throne someday. And we want reverence and we're going to be in awe. But we'll also have the knowledge that we've been redeemed by the Lamb to a living hope. So as we face decisions each day, part of what guides our decisions is to choose the kind of life that we're going to live. Can somebody who's been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb go to that place? Can we do those things? Can we buy those things? Can we watch those things? If we have become the children of God and we have a date with God coming on Judgment Day, can we really have some things in our lives? Or do we need to get rid of them? Do we need to cast them out? If Jesus redeemed me from my sins, how can I take them up again? Peter is saying we live in the shadow of the cross. We have life and hope because of the cross. God punished sin on the cross once for all. And no aspect of our life can please God if it's not shaped by the cross and what was done there for us by Jesus. So if you're just beginning the Christian life, know for sure this one thing, that the way of the cross leads home. So take up your cross and follow Jesus today and every day. And if you've been a Christian for a while, don't grow weary of the cross. Don't get tired of bearing it. Don't get tired of dying on it to your will so that you can live for God's. But live a life of reverent fear of God because you see it still leads home. The path of the cross leads home. Third, Peter calls us to a life of love. Look at verse 22 to 25. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Be holy. Be strangers in reverent fear. Love sincerely. A Christian is somebody who has washed away their sins. We've been purified by obedience to the truth, obedience to the gospel. And when that happens, we we gain a new capacity. We gain a new ability, and that is the capacity or the ability to love. The heart that is touched by God's love is empowered to love as he loved. And so Peter goes on in verse 23 to 25 to assure us that we've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. Through the living, enduring word of God, which stands forever. And again, he turns to the scriptures to, to make his point. He turns to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6 through 8. Life is transient. It fades quickly and it's gone. 
Here today and gone tomorrow is a proverb of truth. But the gospel was preached. It was preached in our hearing. We received it in faith and obedience and we were born again. And as born again people, we have this capacity to love. To genuine, giving, serving, sacrificing love. And so Peter's final exhortation is to love deeply. To love from a sincere heart. Don't gossip about your brothers and sisters. Don't say hurtful things about them. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Serve them. Help them. Share with them without being asked. Cry and hurt with them when they cry and hurt. Laugh and rejoice with them when they laugh and rejoice. Be there for each other. Carry each other's burdens. Love deeply from a sincere heart means that we don't judge each other. It means that our aim is always to build each other up, not to tear each other down. We let the love that Jesus showed us be our guide for how we love one another. But that is the call to love sincerely. How glorious it would be if every new Christian leaned on God for strength and made these goals the goal of their Christian life. If every Christian strives with God's help to be a holy people, a cross-shaped people, a loving people. When you look at yourself, when you examine your heart, what do you see? What is your life like? Is it holy? Is it cross-shaped? Is it a life of love? If it is, then thank God for that. Praise Him for the grace and the kindness that He's showing to you and have a humble heart. And if you look at your heart and you see that it's not those things, don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Because our holy God and Father is rich in mercy and kindness. And not only will He forgive us, but by word and spirit, He will transform us into the likeness of His Son if we will but yield ourselves to Him and to His work. We are God's children, and Peter's encouraging us to live as the children of God. We're going to finish now with a song of encouragement. Maybe there is somebody who recognizes a lack of holiness or that their life's not shaped by the cross or they're not loving. And if that's you this morning, please come to your Father and let Him ask for His forgiveness. Repent of your sins and He will forgive and restore you. Won't you come while we stand and sing?